How can I Habermas you if I can barely Habermas myself? I asked myself that several points while reading this third part of Legitimation Crisis and hopefully have been able to overcome these deficiencies. I've Habermas myself and can maybe Habermas you, listener. Maybe our listeners can Habermas you, Alex. Maybe they can Habermas me. It's true. I'm, I'm open to being Habermas. I'm Habermasable. Welcome to BungaCast, the global politics podcast at the end of the end of history. This is for you, dearest patrons, inner circle people, the Reading Club. This is the second block of the Reading Club of the Year, of which we're doing Legitimation Crisis by Jürgen Habermas. And specifically now we're turning to part three and the last third of the book, um, which is, well, it's a doozy. It's a doozy. George. Uh, yeah, it is. So first, first part, a social scientific concept of crisis. This was quite a lot of theoretical ground clearing um you know we talked about some of the um, i guess this this concepts of crisis that have mass outlines all of that kind of background w- work i think the second part was where it really kind of got got cooking crisis tendencies in advanced capitalism Habermas's model of of capitalist society the different sorts of um economic rationality legitimation and motivation crises in those um sorts of societies and then Today, we're on the third part, appropriately, on the logic of legitimation problems. So this, I think, there's a lot to talk about in this. There's a lot to think about. And just quickly, I guess, to run through the chapters for listeners, um, it starts off with Max Weber's concept of legitimation and then a kind of classical Habermasian prose here, the relation of practical questions to truth. Then he continues, the model of the suppression of generalizable interests, Um then we have the end of the individual, question mark. That's a good one. Uh, chapter five is then complexity and democracy. And finally, partiality for reason. So as we've experienced in the first two parts, there's a lot in each of those chapters and consequently an awful lot in, in even one part of this very dense book, um, but some really interesting questions and a lot to discuss. So my take on this is that the overarching concern this part of the book is the relation of legitimation to truth or to put it in more Habermasian terms um, quote the continued existence of a truth dependent mode of socialization constitutive of society so pretty big questions there truth and legitimation essentially so okay great um I think it's fair to say this part moves back to the more theoretical and abstract questions that we covered in the first part after the more political content of part two, which focused, as I said, on those kind of crisis tendencies in advanced capitalism. And so gave us a, some ideas of different sorts of crises, which is always kind of interesting to read and discuss. Um, and so I think it's probably fair to say for me, at least it felt a little bit less relevant, perhaps less gripping at time, less gripping at times than previous parts. Was I alone in this? Was this, was this more tough going um, than the previous part? Or was, did you guys just 
breeze through it with um, intellectual ease and uh, glide on the on the the waves of Habermasian prose. If that <laughs> mixed metaphors there. Yeah, I don't know if anyone's ever glided on those waves. Um, if you're uh, a surfer, you glide on waves. You do indeed. But An I idea don't surfer. I don't. The... Oh my god, that is maybe one of the worst things I've ever heard on a pod. Um, no, the I think I was definitely habermastered by this section. I don't know if that's kind of just because by virtue of coming to the end of the um, coming to the end of the book. Or by the, you know, density. I wouldn't say, you know, it's all, there's some parts of it that are kind of um, gripping and brilliant. And even the more kind of abstract kind of formulations about the relationship between, um, you know, how kind of practical social questions, how they relate themselves to questions of truth, even when formulated in his incredibly dense kind of sentences, nonetheless, there's something there which is valid and important and it's, you know, it's hard to see how you could frame a question like that more succinctly either. You know, when you think about it, about, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure Habermas could write more clearly. I mean, I guess we all could, but also there are some phrases which are just, con, you know, they just convey difficult ideas and it's hard to see how they could be done better. One thing that I think would help is probably more examples. So it's not so much the difficulty of the language as the kind of aridity with respect to concrete illustration. Could you give us an example of a time when he doesn't give an example? Well, just the one that you mentioned yourself, this, um, where he says this uh, continued existence of a truth-dependent mode of socialization constitutive of society. Or you know, when he talks about normative structures, times. right? What is yeah, a normative structure? Yeah, you've got to read structure? that a few times. Yeah, indeed, yeah. You've got to read that a few times to understand what's being said there. Yeah, I think you're always like teetering on the brink of of comprehension and complete, like being being completely <laughs> in the dark. You know, so you're like you're always you're grabbing on, you know, and you have this idea of like normative normative institution. Okay, you you think you have an idea of what that is, but you're not sure, and you're going along, and then you he throws something else in, and then you're a bit like, whoa, I'm trying to hold, you know, keep these plates spinning at the same time without any kind of concreteness. And if you just gave an example one of these spinning plates would be, you know, firmly attached to the stick and you could hold on to that confidently and while worrying about the other spinning plates, you know. Um, I, I think, like, I th there's basically, like, three things that make this really difficult, in my opinion. I think one is the just the level of abstraction that he's dealing with um, and, and that he's working at, um, which I think, to a certain extent, there's no getting away from that um, and because he's trying to be fairly comprehensive about how society functions, about how social systems function. The other thing is that, He's often turning inward to, um, and this is certainly the case in the third part, turning inward to academic debate. So he's dealing with and engaging with systems theory, with particularly the work of Nicholas Luhmann. And you're like, okay, but I'm not, I don't know the work of Nicholas Luhmann well. I don't know what Habermas's position is with regard to it. And even reading the debate that Habermas sets up between himself and Luhmann, you're still not entirely sure what the stakes Why are. Why don't you know the work of Nicholas Luhmann? Well, I, it's it's just a, never he's a luminary of yeah. social theory. I know, but he, I, I just we, never really came across you're it. You're a podcaster. University. It's your job to be informed about these things. Systems like. theory is not really kind of big in the social sciences nowadays. So it's, you know, um, I, you know, bear in mind, I came, I came, you know, for me, it was like social constructionism was the hot thing, not systems theory. And, you know, you can say you can debate the merits and demerits of each and in, in respect to each other. But anyway, Anyway, the point being is that, you know, in part two, it was juicy because he turns outwards to talk about society. And in part three, it 
goes back into this debate. Um, so I, I think like Phil, it's not necessarily like I don't find it stylistically that difficult. And the sentences I've read longer sentences, you know, like uh, that there are writers who who are more elaborate and certainly more Baroque. It's just that it's very arid. And again, it's like the lack of examples. You're you're not really ever certain mm. if you know 100 percent that you that the image you have in your head corresponds to what Habermas is trying to communicate to you, which is maybe a lesson in communicative ethics. A eh, Jürgen, a eh? very very good. No, I think there is very a strength good. and a weakness to that to that to not giving any examples, which is that if you get on a roll mentally, you can put in your favorite example and you can you can build something quite interesting in in your own head almost. Um, but no, I think you know it's it is you know incumbent on us a little to to simplify or to kind of grapple with some of the political stakes of this and one thing which which i was thinking about a little bit was is this all about like are we living in a post-truth society this would be the kind of um headline grabbing kind of opinion piece way to put it um i'm not sure habermas would be the person to write that particular opinion piece but it's almost like is the structure by which we legitimate societies today completely independent of truth which is a you know a ten dollar word way of saying are we living in a post-truth society um if we are then that's kind of you know makes things easier for us discussing this book because we can say anything we don't have to be right or wrong but no, that's a bit, <laughs> i'm a not bit sure that's what that means <laughs> no but it's i mean that i think that's kind of what he's driving at right uh, the, the yeah. social structures are they are they dependent on truth for to socialize yeah. individuals is that how we can con- constitute society through yeah, our interactions it's or a not profound, it, it is a genuinely profound question um, I mean, I suppose the reason I flinched... My question or, or Habermas's no, Hab- question? No, obviously Habermas's question or yours. Oh, so close. <laughs> the reason I, listeners won't have obviously seen this, but the reason I flinched when you said post-truth, George, is only because I think, you know, the idea of all that post-truth stuff is limited to the discourse. Well... Which is uh, to say it's about, um, it's about kind of understood as a matter... It's understood as a matter of kind of um, people's relationship to media. Um, whereas in this context, you know, he's talking about, not about, um, uh, assimilation of information or whether we're assimilated to information or whatever, but rather socialization more broadly conceived, um, you know, which encompasses kind of social structures, psychological transformation, psychoanalysis, psychoanalytic concepts, as well as political integration and whether or not any of those processes have a basis in truth. And, you know, so it's just, I suppose it's a bigger, it's not unrelated to those questions of post-truth that we kind of people bat about today, but it's also a bigger kind of vista on them. Yeah, no, I mean, also post-truth is the way it's discussed. It's, it's personalized, whereas Habermas's concern is very impersonal. So it's about like, you know, today post-truth, yeah, it's a really are, important are these point, claims makers telling the truth? Yeah. Do they are they yeah. do they have the proper responsibility with regard to truth? You know, are, are people being suckered by the truth? But it's all about individuals with believing or telling untruths. Yeah. Um, it's about management in effect. Yeah. Well, hello, listener. I hope you like what you're hearing. It's a short excerpt from an episode that's available only to subscribers. Want to support BungaCast and get at least two original episodes a month? Sign up at patreon.com slash BungaCast right now. $5 a month patrons get access to exclusive episodes like our in-depth analyses of present history. You know, the big stuff that's happening right now. As well as chats with our regular guests, extended interviews with the key thinkers trying to understand our world today, and much more. For $10 a month, you join the BungaCast Reading Club. 
the place for those of us who are serious about equipping ourselves with the necessary intellectual tools for understanding the world and seeking to change it. Phil, George, and myself, Alex, look forward to seeing you there. Patreon.com slash Bungacast.